Okay, I'm I'm ready. Hopefully, wait. I don't know if if everything is. It should be fine. It looks like my levels are fine. Okay. Anyway. Okay. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So, do you wanna? Uh, you start off. Do the you fun wanna fact. do that? No, you do that intro. Fun fact: We actually don't know how we initially began domesticating non-livestock animals, but one theory says that we did so by accident. To be more specific, the precursors to modern-day dogs and cats may have begun to tag along with human nomads or stick around human settlements to feed on the food scraps of the humans, reducing their competition for food and hence aggression towards one another, enabling friendly bonds to be created. If you want to hear more about that, a link for the new scientist will be provided in the show notes. Hello listeners and welcome to Fighting Failure, the podcast where we discuss solutions to the climate crisis. I'm Hisho and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm Oscar, your co-host. This is episode 38, all about pets and the consumerism surrounding our not always furry, but perennially friendly companions. We all love pets. I have two dogs, a cat, and countless chickens and ducks in the yard. I'll let you in on a secret. They multiply. And Oz has Monty, his adorable little pug. Companion animals are everywhere, and they have been for a very long time now. Anyway. Let's move on to the consumerism-based problems that we've brought about with our pets. So problem number one is pet food. In the USA alone, almost 10 million tons of pet food are produced every year. And pet food uses a lot of processed meat products. And this, of course, entails all the problems of the meat industry that we've talked about countless times before, whether this be the incredible use of land and water, as well as the massive animal rights violations that come with it. So, I mean, of course, um, there's all those smaller implications of meat that we've uh, talked about in the past. The ones that, you know, are so commonly advertised, like methane and cow burps and whatever. But there's a lot of other things that make uh, the meat industry really detrimental. And one of them is land usage, like Oscar mentioned. The meat industry requires a large amount of space. I mean, already... Uh, the size of the, the the scale of the meat industry to support humans is is so large that to additionally have, have to support like pet food and the and now the the pet food industry just the the scale of the meat industry in countries such as the U.S. and Australia and and um, a lot of other Western countries Brazil uh, worldwide um, is is incredible. Yeah, and, and a lot of people might think, oh, the meat industry, how much land does that use? Because when you're driving around the countryside, you might not see that many farms full of animals. Um, but I think the important thing to mention is that, yes, maybe we see like so many sheep in the fields or so few sheep in the fields and cows in the fields or factory farms everywhere. That That is a comparatively small amount of land used compared to the total amount of land that's used for the meat industry. And that's because most animals aren't raised pastorally. They aren't feeding on the pastures. They aren't eating the grass. They're eating corn or soy or <clears throat> some other crop that's grown for them that's then fed to them as feed rather than them living off the land. And so, for example, I was recently in rural Gloucestershire um, for my Duke of Edinburgh silver expedition. Um, and we were walking through these fields and we saw this field of corn. And we we're like, oh, that's corn. And we looked more closely and we could actually see that this corn was not for human consumption, but it was clearly maize that's meant for animal consumption. So you might see all these fields and fields of crops, but actually... Most of the crops that you see 
especially if it's corn or maize or soy or anything like that, are not actually being grown for humans. So that all that land that you see that looks like it's been grown arable crops is actually just an extension of the land that's used for the meat industry. I found a statistic here from Our World in Data, which is, uh, states that about 77% of global farming land is uh, can be accounted for, li- uh, b- for by livestock. Um, and the land that we use to grow crops uh, for animal feed, um, like Oscar j- was just mentioning, and I mean that is a that's a huge portion of our land that that we're um, giving to the meat industry, and and then so obviously, you know the problems with expansion in this sector, and and you know supporting the meat industry then is that we get further encroachment into into the natural land. Yeah, precisely. Because when people say that, oh, you know, we can't adopt plant-based diets because we need meat to support a growing population, that is just so false. If we need to, or if we want to support a population that is likely going to approach 11 billion people, that's probably, uh, I think that's where the population of the world is meant to settle. You can't feed 11 billion people with animal products. It's just, it's not possible. If we're using so much of our farmable land for meat, then the only way to really rectify that and to feed so many people is by converting so much of the arable land into crops for human consumption instead of for animal consumption. And that way we can actually reduce the amount of total farmland while increasing the amount of food, the amount of people that we can actually feed with what we grow. Yeah, and then obviously a lot of these products are also not grown sustainably. And so then you have all the implications that are brought about by the methods of of growth surrounding those um, feed crops. I mean... A lot of them are grown using pesticides. A lot of them are grown using fertilizers, synthetic fertilizers. And I mean, if you go back to season one, when we talked about that, um, you'll know that they're, you know, they have greatly detrimental effects on, on soil quality and soil microbes, uh, microbial life. And uh, it just makes the land, um, it makes the soil, the soil quality um, degrade. And, and that just kind of makes the, the, entire piece of land useless in in time yeah you're so right and so even if we didn't change these farming methods one way that we can make agriculture more sustainable is just by reducing the amount of farming that we do and by having both more sustainable farming methods and less farming i think i think it's actually crucial that we we reduce the amount of land that's being farmed because any kind of farming is going to be more detrimental than just leaving that to its natural uses so yeah anyway that is that is quite a bit of a tangent but the whole point of explaining why the meat industry is so detrimental is to, to point out that according to one study, um, and this is published by Now Magazine, or Now Magazine referenced this one study, one study found that cats and dogs account for 25 to 30% of the environmental impact of meat consumption in the United States. So I think that is pretty crazy if you think about it. <clears throat> it's probably mostly because compared to human diets, which may on the most part compose a large amount of meat, um, the diets that we feed our pets are almost entirely composed of meat and, and meat scraps and that sort of thing. So um, that's not necessarily that 25 to 30% of food consumption in the United States is for pets. It's probably not. But they they have an outsized environmental impact compared to their weight. So that's why if you go in, for example, the WWF's carbon calculator, they will ask you, do you have a pet? Um, because that, and that's sort of the size of the dog or whatever, because that actually has a, a significant impact on your carbon footprint. Yeah, and, and obviously, I mean... Um, all this this food is being processed um, an obscene amount. Of course, and, and talking about the other s- scenarios surrounding the pet food, other than how it's grown itself, whether it be um, crops or, or through livestock production, 
the other big problem is, of course, the packaging that pet food comes in. Um, and for the most part, this is going to be unrecyclable. And this problem is very much similar to what we have with all types of food that are plastic and packet, uh, plas- packaged in plastic. Because I, I think these sort of two problems are going to be solved in concert with each other at, this, at the same time as we reduce the amount of plastic packaging and things. But I think for something like pet food, a sort of a bag uh, quite similar to what you use for like flour, you know, like those big sort of paper bags are quite thick, quite tough. Yeah, thing is though, I mean, us, you know, the surprising thing with those is that, you know, those companies are kind of lying to you when they, uh, you know, a lot of those those plastic, the, those, I mean, those paper bags um, that you're starting to see, if they have that waxy sort of laminate on the outside, it's not wax. It's not biodegradable wax. I'll tell you that much. It's a, it's a sort of very thin waxy plastic that they've um, just laminated onto the outside of the paper, so that even once the the paper inside has has biodegraded, that plastic is you still you still have the effect of the plastic. I mean, it'll still break down. It'll break down into microplastics, of course. And then that'll cause all types of problems, and so yeah, I mean, they, it it seems more friendly at a glance, and and it's it it is a step forward, but it's it it is sort of devious. I mean, it's not just because something's in a paper bag or, you know, wax paper. I mean, does not mean that it's no, no, you know, you're so right. Because when I've been in in Europe recently on holidays, I've seen a fair fair number of <clears throat> uh, paper cups. You know, paper cups are better than plastic cups, whatever. Um, and for example, I saw they were in the bathroom on the ferry or when I was staying at a French person's house, this was the cups that they were using to drink out of. But I noticed like on the side of the cup, it says in like four different la- languages. It's like plastic en produit or uh, plastico in el producto or whatever like that. Uh, it, it translates to there is plastic in this product. So it's probably due to European Union regulations. But these makers of what looks like an innocent paper cup are forced to like put this little sticker with a picture of a dying turtle on it saying don't throw this away, this actually does have plastic in it, so you need to just throw it away with everything else. And so I imagine like reducing the amount of plastic in it is good, but it's actually really annoying that this small amount of contamination of plastic means that the whole thing can't be properly disposed of and cycled. Yeah, so I mean, obviously that causes a huge amount of problems. I mean, it, we buy um, dog food here, not the best dog food, probably not the best environmentally, not the best for our dogs as well, but it's what we can get in Malawi. And it comes in these huge plastic, sort of like meshy bags, um, and it's it's not recyclable. I mean, a lot of these plastics aren't recyclable, so there is that. I mean, plastics, of course, as we've talked about in our recycling episode, are finitely recyclable, so um, they can only be recycled so many times. But still, I mean, they're not recyclable plastics, and they're wow. non-reusable plastics. And so once you're done with them, that huge plastic bag, it's going to go into some landfill or go into the ocean. And, I mean, so that's really distracting on screen. Sorry. Or something is going to um, some, it's gonna end up somewhere in, in our environment. And so, I mean, obviously packaging is, is a huge worry, huge concern surrounding um, pet food and, and our our consumption of not our consumption but our purchasing of pet food yeah i mean but like this is obviously all related to pets but there's obviously the thing that this is just a generally part of the broader problems with the food system as well um yeah so other problems with pets i think 
a lot of things like pet toys, pet supplies, leashes, collars, harnesses. These are all primarily composed of plastic, synthetic materials. I think I'll add in there poo bags for dogs. Obviously, you should pick up your dog's poo, um, but then that's causing a massive amount of plastic. Um, I'll talk about what we do for that in the solution section um, with our dog. But I mean, it's obviously it's just the same as synthetic materials, obviously. So with those leashes, collars, harnesses, like we've talked about in the past, I mean, they need to be washed if you're overwashing them then those synthetic materials can shed, can shed microplastics. And if they're all composed of synthetics, then eventually when you throw them out and they're non-recyclable, you know, it's just going to add to that, the massive plastic that, that's either in the landfill or, or ultimately in the ocean or, or, or whatever the case is. So, I mean, just, you know, what we use with our pets and, and it's, it's hard to avoid it. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to avoid it, but it's it's just sort of like these the most basic, um, most fundamental problems with the production of everything nowadays is that it's it has to be synthetic because that's what we've sort of identified as as the as the best way to produce things is is using synthetic materials. Okay, so the the next issue, um, and again, this is this is really similar to the sort of thing that we've talked about before. With like fast fashion um, and so pet fashion which is like it's sort of just like um, imagine the emoji just like oh, oh. like um you know people dress up their dogs for halloween or for dog fairs or anything like that it just it really grates me i don't i don't really like it at all i, I yeah i think it's it's just weird yeah i mean f- fashion is already such a big problem why are we then forcing this problem onto these pets that have no choice in the matter I mean, and it's not like they look comfortable as well in their little Spider-Man outfits. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, it must be really tight-fitting. You know, like dogs dogs and cats have natural fur. and They don't need to wear coats unless it's like a greyhound, and then you have those, like, sort of little coats for them that are designed for greyhounds. But uh, generally, like, they're probably going to be quite uncomfortable if you're dressing them something like that. But they also, unlike if you're, like, dressing a human, <laughs> they don't have that power to really say, this is really uncomfortable, can you get this off me? Um, I mean, they could like bark or they could scream, but, you know, they ultimately have no choice in the matter. Um, and they're, they're really powerless um, to the Spider-Man suit. So I would strongly suggest both for fast fashion and, and environment and like not buying unnecessary costumes for Halloween, just like we wouldn't buy costumes for Halloween for ourselves. We just, you know, make do with what we have. Or, you know, like I think my, my sister did like uh, Men in Black. So she just like took my suit that I wear for school and then with a different tie, um, and some gel in her hair or, and, and you know, sunglasses, something like that. Um, and that's the sort of costume that you could do. And she did it with a bunch of friends. So they all saw wet made on. It's like men in black. That's the sort of costume that you could do without needing to buy ridiculous amounts of costumes every year just for one night. And so the same applies to your pets. And I mean, if you do want to dress up your pet as well, I mean, like Oscar said, same applies to your pets. You make your own, you can make your own pet costume, make your own Spider-Man costume. Um, and shove your little yeah. sausage. So I think the men in black bag. actually have a pug, right? And we have a pug. So it was it was the perfect costume for my sister and her friends to do. But rather than dressing Monty up in a suit, they just added like this tiny little tie and, and put that around his collar. So he could probably couldn't even feel it. Um, but they were, I'm praising you for once, Phoebe. Phoebe's here. Hello. So, um, you know, usually I talk, <laughs> talk badly about you on the podcast. But yeah, Hisho's here. Hi, um, Hisho. I was just talking about how you did a sustainable Halloween costume. Right. By, by just taking stuff that we already had and 
not forcing Monty oh. into some ridiculous costume. He wore a tie. Exactly. He wore a tie, but I don't think he knew that he was wearing a tie, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <that laughs> I think great. Hisham, is, just, is Phoebe just texted you? Yeah, he told me to come and yeah. annoy you. Wait, did he? <laughs> no. Hisham, you're evil. Um, <laughs> uh, do you have anything to say about Monty? Monty's cute. He's cute, yeah. Um, what do you think about people owning snakes as pets? Um, fun. I quite like a snake. Be cool. Um, I'm not sure that's the message you're actually trying to send. He showed you want to rectify it. That'd be a bit cool. You're gonna be like a nice slimy little snake. Um, great. Bye. Okay. She says hi. Okay, great. Close the door, please. Okay, that was not an interruption. That was an interview with the general public. Now let's move on. Yeah, that was. All right. So what I was saying is um, is, is reptiles and, and these, uh, this sort of obsession with owning exotic pets is a pretty big problem. And snakes are becoming worryingly common as pets. Snakes and all types of lizards and salamanders and... or t I mean, salamanders, I think, would be amphibians. But... I mean, just reptiles and amphibians, I guess, um, are both, you know, on rapid decline um, already in nature, in their in their habitats. Um, they're greatly affected um, already. Um, climate change and by um, global warming is as far as it's come as of now. And so to be taking them out of their habitat and putting them in little enclosures and calling them pets is a pretty big problem and then you have a problem with species that end up escaping and so I mean in one case in in Florida I'm sure some of you guys have heard about this but there are there were a lot of cases of people who owned these uh what were they they were pythons they were um Burmese pythons specific? Burmese pythons yeah Burmese pythons that were, um, and people, you know, who, who owned them and were sick of looking after them would, after a while, just be like, okay, I don't want you anymore. You know, just sort of like the way you'd kick a dog out of your house. Well, I hope you wouldn't, but just like that. And they just throw their snake out the back door and, and, and eventually, I mean, they made it to the Everglades and, and the Everglades are sort of ideal for them. And so, they've managed to take over um, and rapidly reproduce in the Everglades. And so now they're, they're, they've, so they're an invasive species to the Everglades. And there are, there are some people that are trying to reduce their numbers, but it's really hard. And so, and this has happened with other species too. And so having these exotic species as pets just en masse with, and letting random people own them is just a little bit worrying. And something that I think should just be at everyone's attention. Oh my gosh. I was just, um, <clears throat> uh, when you were talking about pythons, I was looking up, um, like, where does the word python come from? Because it sounds like a Greek ending, but it's not like a second dimension neuter ending. It comes from Puthorn, which is the name of a mythological enormous serpent slain by Apollo hmm. at Delphi, which is where the oracle is. Um, but then on this Wiktionary wow. page, there's this horrifying picture of um, 
a boa can a python python natalensis constricting a goat which is um slightly oh. horrifying it looks like there's two as well or is that like the massive horn yeah. of the goat or what no it's the underbelly yeah. of the snake is covered differently to the top oh. well wow, it's a big snake but i mean w- one of the big problems with, with these guys being in like the everglades is that they're starting to outcompete the alligators and crocodiles i think the everglades is the only place where both alligators and crocodiles exist but i mean the these these of these new large reptiles that have been introduced these pythons are now you know adding competition to the to the ecosystem and that's creating this strain and this unhealthy competition that with you know these new invasive species and so it is worrying um to see how normal um exotic pets have become oscar would you like to talk about these larger species and and game species yeah i mean it's it's a very similar story with exotic species for example in africa like i know lions tigers i know you see these sorts of things on the on the internet about tigers or any sort of exotic animal being befriended by a human and and it might look cute but um and maybe that is an okay relationship but like how do you take an animal like that out of the wild and turn them into a pet sustainably or morally this is not something that you should be doing and and i don't think people should be spreading these things to in any way that could normalize this idea of having exotic animals as pets i mean it's strange enough that like wolves turn into dogs instead of being really friendly to us i mean cats were never really domesticated they're still feral but that's strange enough um uh it's uh, we don't really want to go any further with this really strange unnatural relationship that we have with these animals and um yeah do not attempt to domesticate animals yourself yeah i mean that's the thing as well as that is that we can't like these are the types of animals you can't create those bonds with there's no emotional bond between you and the python that you own i was I actually read us i i heard of this story the other day where like a lady let her python out because she thought that was a good idea and it like ate her kid or something oh, like God. there's all these crazy stories like you just i mean it, it's it's a wild animal that you've put in a cage and called your pet and so you're trying to domesticate an animal that's that's not domestic that can't be domesticated that can't be i think we're using the word domesticated wrongly i think there's tame which you can do with an animal and then domestication is sort of a more a longer sort of selective breeding evolutionary process but yeah would you like to give your vegan perspective now yeah so um i mean we've we've sort of touched on this already about like how can people like take animals out of the wild or just release them back into the wild when they're obviously going to die um and i think more broadly i don't think it's actually that much of a, a, a uncommon perspective that the breeding of pets is largely immoral um and i think most people would agree that a lot of sort of you know puppy farms or puppy mills or any thoughts these sorts of things are, are truly horrifying but more broadly i think the idea of breeding these animals especially especially with with breeds like pugs or french bulldogs that have these deformed faces or, or other features that we're just we're making these animals ridiculous just because we think that they uh, look cute or whatever and i think that i don't think that's really a, the way to treat sentient beings i don't think we should be seeing them these these objects just we just want to like change them to make them cute and and in defense of myself I, i've obviously said that we have a pug um, but we did not buy this pug from a breeder because i think that would definitely be an immoral thing to do yeah i mean it just it's because i mean obviously humans in in their value systems generally see humans 
see humans as like as as higher beings and so i mean i guess it's it's easy for some people to say the dog's a lower species and and it's okay for me to manipulate their breeding cycles and allow for these deformities i i don't know how i mean it's i guess it's just like humans are more powerful and so it's okay i like i don't know yeah i mean might doesn't make right so that that's why it's 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 really not justifiable the sort of things that we do and and if you thought about in in any sort of vaguely human context about manipulating the sort of people's genetic material almost just just because that makes them because we want to view them as an object right so so really my being in perspective is not that we should stop having pets but rather that we just need to change the way we think about pets from rather than thinking of them as these objects that we just bring in because we want to to we want them to love us really and, and we want to have cuddles or whatever and that you jettison at the first moment that they you know you know euthanize them when anything goes wrong or you know i mean there i've heard i've read horrifying stories from vets about how families have just gotten bored of their dog and then just gone to the pet and asked the vet to to euthanize the dog which is just horrifying and that the issue with that is is very much the mindset around how we think about animals and so um even just the name I mean, change you see from, them as like a from a pet yeah we see them as disposable it's, toy uh, yeah even even then just changing the name from a pet to a companion animal signifies that it's much more of a two-way relationship of of provision and that we should really care about them as individuals and and work to prolong their life as much as possible and prolong their happiness as much as possible as well acting in their interests rather than our own um and and part of that is definitely not buying pets from breeders and not supporting the breeding of pets um, but very much, there are so many pets in rescue centers that are in need of rescue and in need of loving family. And, and so we should be supporting those way ahead of, of breeding animals for our own desires. All right. Time for it. Time for solutions. Time first yeah. for some music. You're listening to Fighting Failure. This is episode 38, all about pets and their contribution to the climate emergency. Episode 38 is from the consumerism section of season three, Material World. If you want to support our work, Find the Patreon link in the description. But the most important thing that you can do is share this podcast with others. Now, on to the solutions. solutions are quite simple really regarding the last few points that we made in the problem section biodegradable poo bags um if we think about especially about how poo itself is biodegradable um then adding biodegradable poo bags into that mix they're fairly easy to get online order a bunch of them and then just use those instead make sure you always bring a few with you um and then you can pick up your poop and bin it sustainably
be judicious with your choice of pet accessories. Don't buy too many unnecessarily. How many leashes do you need? How many collars do you need? How many toys do your pets need? How many treats do you need? I mean, just in terms of if these pet accessories, just don't go crazy. Uh, if you're thinking about it, buying an exotic reptile or amphibian, maybe think again. But if you do, or if you have one, make sure not to release it. Make sure not to let it escape. Keep it in its enclosure at all times. Um, and if you ever get sick of it, don't throw it out the back door. Um, hand it into some facilities or find someone else who will take it in. Don't. But if you've bought a pet, it is your responsibility to care for that pet, ultimately. You can't just throw it away. You've dug yourself into the hole. You're going to need to build yourself out again. And so whether that means paying someone else to take the pet or, or taking it to a rescue center or just caring for it for longer, you, you, you can't just dispose of a pet just because you've gotten bored of it. You can't kill it when you uh, get bored with it. You can't be like, no, I'm done with this snake. And maybe be like, I don't want to throw it out the back door, but I'm, I don't want it anymore. And, and you can't just kill it, right? Reptiles, they can, they can have long lives and, and you don't want to just cut it short because you're sick of it. Yeah. And so, so let that be a warning to anyone who has not purchased a reptile. Don't purchase a reptile. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't. Regarding pet food, Oscar, would you like yeah, to? Yeah. So um, there are some groups that try to produce more sustainable pet food by using insect proteins and meat protein, reducing the strain on the meat industry, shifting it to elsewhere. Um, obviously, I definitely have my concerns about insect farming. Um, I don't think it's nearly as sustainable as plant farming, but I think the evidence does show that it has uh, less carbon emissions than uh, animal farming does or or big mammal mammal farming does or fish farming or anything like that. Um, and it's not mainstream though, so it's going to be expensive. So if you're willing to pay more for more sustainable pet food, uh, I would definitely advise getting just plant-based pet food instead. I've had a look into this. It's scarily expensive, um, but it definitely exists. Um, and for dogs... If you get the right brand, it's definitely healthy for dogs. Uh, cats, it, the jury's sort of still out because um, unlike dogs, cats are sort of obligate carnivores. However, if you think about the nutrition that they actually need to get from meat, then the only sort of nutri nutrient that's missing is, is this thing called taurine, which can be synthesized. So um, I think it probably is possible to, to get vegan cat food that has, um, uh, that has synthetic taurine or to have plant-based food with them. It's like 99 plant-based that, that has this um, animal-derived taurine in it. But ultimately, I don't think the evidence base for whether that's healthy for cats is nearly as well-developed as the evidence regarding plant-based dog food. Yeah, and then, of course, I mean, just always look for the organic or non-GMO symbol when purchasing pet food, when purchasing anything, really. Look for that little that little logo. I mean, if, if it's certified, if it's organic, if it's non-GMO, if it's... I mean, there's also other certifications that it can have that, that make it... That mean that it's more... Yeah, ultimately, considering how expensive plant-based options are, um, with a heavy heart, I would just say buy the best pet food you can afford. Um, because even even getting... like I mean, and, and even if it's not the best, I mean, you can still find... I'm sure you can still find cheap pet food that, that you know, is non-GMO. Like, there's there's still ways to find slightly better foods. And, and, and often it's just right there on the packaging, on that plastic, unfortunately, plastic packaging... Um, it's right there, and I just look for that. I mean, I just keep keep your eyes open, right? Don't blindly purchase pet food. And as for packaging, I mean, there's not much that we can do 
in fact there's nothing that we can really do about that i, I don't know what else to think yeah no um yeah unfortunately <laughs> no and, and in terms of treats obviously compared to massive bags of pet food the packaging on a tree is going to be a lot more inefficient um and so you know how many treats do you really need um just give your give your pets cuddles instead you can always um, home make treats as well, or maybe I mean I know like dogs like strawberries or something, but just do your research because there are certain things that dogs are, um, are, can't have that may very well be present in your house, like onions or garlic or chocolate or that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So just do your research on that. So there's yeah, there's there's all types of things, but I mean there's definitely I mean there's recipes all over the internet on how to make different types of there's different types of dog treats of. I mean, my sister's made dog treats before. Like, you can do it. You can do it. I, I tried to eat one, actually, because, you know, it can't it can't kill you. Cause, but they don't taste good. Um, I mean, so, yeah, like, I mean. So before we finish, like, what do you think about, like, dog ice cream and dog chocolate? Because to me, those things are just, like, totally ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's, that goes back to that. It's, it's sort of, like, fashion for dogs. We're trying yeah. to, like, put things it's, that we enjoy onto them that they probably just don't. Yeah, I mean. And, and those are things that, that dogs can't eat. And we've just sort of created ways for dogs to eat things that they're not supposed to naturally eat, like chocolate. Dogs can't eat chocolate. Dogs weren't made to eat chocolate. Dogs, I mean, some dogs are fat and want to eat everything, like my dog Bella. But, I mean, dogs don't necessarily want to eat chocolate. So, I mean, why are we f trying to find ways to feed our dogs chocolate and feed our dogs ice cream? It's just it's just unnecessary. It's unnecessary production wise. It's unnecessary. It's unnecessary for you to pay for that. I mean, it's it's expensive too. Why would you, you know, like they get just as much of a kick out of a scrap piece of biltong or uh, or licking your or licking your plate when you're done eating or whatever than as they do from eating that scoop of doggy ice cream that you bought them. Like it's again, it's just consumerism and in in fashion and it's just kind of unnecessary yeah so i think i think that's all guys thank you so much for listening thank you guys see you in a fortnight fighting failure was researched and written this week by hisham keenan additional writing input from oscar archibald produced by oscar archibald the fighting failure podcast is a production of fighting failure fighting failure.earth <laughs> you said that so fast okay that was good that was, I mean, it was fine. Yeah, it was, it was okay. It'll do. <laughs> I think it's, I think this sort of thing was mostly recapping stuff we talked about before, but it's useful because if people are sort of like looking for information about pets, it encapsulates it all into one, like one episode.